It's in a chef's DNA to help people. If we're not in it to help people, there's really no reason to be cooking. It motivates every chef to just take care of somebody, to cook for them, to see that look in their face where they're enjoying what you're cooking and, you know, putting your emotions on a plate. On September 28th, for the first time in 50 years, the White House held a conference on food, nutrition, and health. Food is not only critical to our health and well-being, but it is central to the way we gather, entertain, and enjoy friends and family. Boston is the home of a number of talented chefs who not only create amazing restaurants, but who take a deep interest in helping those in our community who are struggling or in need of support. I'm Jill Shaw, and you're listening to Catalyst for Change, brought to you by the Shaw Family Foundation. In the final episode of our Ingredients for Success series, we're joined by James Beard, award-winning chefs Ken Oranger and Ming Tsai. We talk about their amazing journeys as chefs, the way that they give back to their communities, and tricks of their trade and their favorite meals and recipes. Guys, welcome to the show. Thanks for joining me. I appreciate it. Thank you, Jill. So pumped. I know. This is so great. Hi, Ming. How are you? I'm awesome. Hey, Jill. Hello, Kenny O. Good to see you as always. What's up, Mingy? We had to start taping because Ken was telling me too many good stories about you, Ming, and the old days. But you guys, I got to start by saying the White House hosted a national conference on food and nutrition for the first time in 50 years. Oh, yeah. Does it seem like once every 50 years is about the right pace to talk about food and nutrition in America? (laughs) Just curious from guys who are in the food business. It's every day. It's the most it's the most ironic thing. We spend billions of dollars on food and nutrition and what we should eat. It used to be the pyramid, food pyramid, then it was the food plate. Half of America doesn't care. They're just going to eat whatever they want. So you're 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 talking to the wall. The other half does care. And I see it out in my restaurant in Big Sky. People don't want to just eat fried chicken and hamburgers and that stuff all the time. And they also don't want to just eat a salad, right? Because that's not a great substitute for a double cheeseburger. So you need unctuous, delicious food. But in my opinion, plant-based is the way to go. I'm not vegan. I'm not vegetarian. I eat meat and, and I love fish. But vegetarian till dinner is usually my thing. And it's not that hard. And then a couple of times a week, I, go, I do go vegan. It's not that hard. Now, granted, Kenny and I are chefs, so I get that. But nowadays, oh my God, look, it's on my hat. Nowadays, there's actually <laughs> solutions, right, to to help America. He's wearing a pineapple right now. Yes, exactly. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right, so Ken, do you feel the same way? Like, what, what? How do you think about food for yourself and your family and your community? You, you serve. You both serve us lots of food here in Boston, but how, how do you think about it? Yeah, I think uh, as a chef, we have, you know, as Ming mentioned, some responsibilities, you know, here to kind of set the trends and give people, again, the options. You know, what we're serving nowadays versus what we served, you know, 25, 30 years ago is completely different. And as Ming mentioned, you know, we have much more plant-based options. Like even at Little Donkey, I'd say at least half the menu now is plant-based, at least half. Even at Facha, you know, same thing, you know, 95% of the menu is gluten-free, huge plant-based menu. And then, you know, we're in Boston, you know, we have the best seafood in the world too. So we'd be silly not to have all this amazing seafood on the menu. I think we have like two meat dishes on, uh, on the menu at Facha right now. And, and it's great. I mean, you know, with my family now, 
I will cook fish at least three or four nights a week. Okay. And, you know, we'll eat meat maybe one night a week, if yep. that. Yeah. With little kids, you know, not quite little, but 13 and 11 years old. I mean, it takes a while to kind of change their mindset. But now, you know, my son would be just as comfortable eating an Indian stew of chickpeas than he would uh, a burger. Yeah, because he's decided it's it's delicious. It's been oriented in that direction. Yeah. So you guys, I didn't realize, met on the West Coast. Oh, yeah. So what were you doing on the West Coast? It was a, it's a great story, actually. I mean, Kenny's really my best chef friend. We started at Silks at the Mandarin Oriental Hotel. Truth to be told, we both started as sous chefs, AM sous chefs, PM sous chef. Kenny cooked probably five years more than me at that time and was rightfully and, and should have been promoted to chef de cuisine to run Silks because, I mean, Kenny's talent is Kenny's one of the top, top, top five chefs in the country. Period. Aww. People don't know that in the West Coast. They need to know that. Chefs know that. I mean, when Thomas Keller says this is one of the best chefs in the country, you listen. TK's right. So Kenny was promoted chef de cuisine and just crushed it there. You know, it was not nearly as busy as his current restaurants, but that's how we bonded and became great friends. And he had great friends with my girlfriend, now my wife, Barnaby, and we go way back. So then it sounds like he dragged you out here, right? So what happened? Because you at some point decided to leave that job and come to Boston? Yep, so I decided to come to Boston to open up a restaurant. Yeah. Ming was in Santa Fe at the time and I was like, Ming, you've got to come out here. There's plenty of opportunities. Come east, young man, come east. <laughs> and he had so many connections from going to school on the East Coast and I think his brother found a location yeah, in yeah. Wellesley. Or... So Kenny was a huge influence, right? I came to visit him. He was building out Clio at the time. I'm like, is that C-L-I-O or E-O? So that was my first reaction. <laughs> <laughs> and he made Clio, of course, one of the best restaurants in Boston, bar none. Probably ever. Yeah, yeah, probably. Yeah. And when I came to visit him, he's like, dude, do your food here. No one does East-West here. No, maybe Salamander, huh? I think, was like the only person, yeah. right? Frank yeah. Frank yeah. Thaler was quite good. There's one other East-West restaurant, and I did come out. My brother was living at the Wellesley at the time, and the Wellesley Market was open, open for a year. And I remember walking into it, hmm. and I'm like, oh, my God. Kitchen to the right, bar to the left. They must have walk-in coolers. And, of course, they did. It became Blue Ginger. We drove to Wellesley from Boston to go to Blue Ginger, and it was incredible. Hundreds of people did that every week. Yeah. Yeah. That was a phenomenon. Oh. And it lasted quite a while, too. 19 years. That's a good yeah, that's a good run. Absolutely. I remember, you know, when Ming first opened and the lemongrass lobster and, yeah. you know, the obviously the um, miso butterfish and, you know, some of these dishes like these were iconic dishes that people will be talking about, yeah. you know, probably long after we're gone that shaped the way that this city really ate and what chefs were starting to cook around the whole East Coast. I mean, right. it was such delicious food. Like people weren't using lemongrass, you know, even right. in anything in those days, except if it was a Thai restaurant. And even then, probably most of them weren't even using lemongrass. So this is making me wonder, you guys, when you travel, or if you think about the last 30 years of your careers, what is one of the biggest inspirations that has hit you when you've been traveling? Or do your biggest inspirations come from like your childhood? <laughs> That's a great well, question, Joe. Yeah. Joe, Kenny, you first. <laughs> Ming's childhood in Columbus, Ohio. I don't know if there Dayton, was... Dayton, Ohio. Dayton, Ohio. Or Dayton, please. that's right. Dayton, Ohio. That's like uh, saying you're Hohokus instead of Paramus, all right? Come on. <laughs> <laughs> My biggest influence for sure is eating other people's food. 
when I eat someone else's dish, and it doesn't have to be fine dining, because actually if I go to Single Thread, by the way, Kenny, have you been? I just is a Single Thread in Napa. It's phenomenal. No, dying to go there. Wait, where in, is uh, it, Single Thread? In Sonoma. Oh. Healdsburg. So that type of food and Thomas Keller's type of food and Kenny's type of food has already been so inspired. I don't actually get as much inspiration from a dish that's so inspired because, you know, Keller's Oysters and Pearl. How am I going to improve on that? It's, it's already at its pinnacle. I get much more inspired by street food and eating in a grandma's house or down dive restaurants because they're like, oh, my God, I love this. But, of course, it never looks very good, especially Asian food. It's just plop. But the flavor <laughs> profile of I never thought of using eggplant, pickling it and frying it and this. That's where my real inspiration is because you eat that. And television shows and cookbooks, those are great, too. But got to put yeah. it into your mouth. And, like, and I, we both do this. What's in this? What, yeah. what is that flavor? Is that, is that an Indonesian peppercorn? Right. And just oh, like, that's. That's where I get inspired. Yeah, and I'm kind of the same way. Travel has always dictated my restaurants. I mean, you know, I had Clio, but then I spent a lot of time in, in Japan, and you know, then I decided to open up Uni. Yeah. You know, I was doing a lot of events in Spain, and then, you know, yeah. Toro came about, and, you know, then I always loved Italy, and then Copa came about, and... And then traveling around other countries and Little Donkey came about. So travel is, I think, and I tell every young cook that it's more important to me than anything is if people can travel. And even if they can't afford to travel to luxurious countries, yeah. it's at least go to ethnic neighborhoods and go to like Lowell and go eat Cambodian food or go to... What uh, was the place you took us to in Dorchester? Oh, yeah. the uh, amazing. Trinidadian place. Yeah. 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 Ollie, Ollie's roti. You got to go. Unbelievable. Yeah. Kenny brings up a great point. It's travel and eating other people's food. People ask me what's bad East-West cuisine, right? I hate the term fusion because fusion is yeah. oh. force. That's atoms and nuclear energy. Uh, East-West cuisine is a blending, right? Because mm. bad fusion cuisine is called confusion cuisine, right? And that's <laughs> when you have these young cooks that because they can buy lemongrass and young ginger and sesame, they just put it into a blender and says, voila, vinaigrette. No, they never <laughs> learned traditionally how the Thais use lemongrass how to, how to break it down, how to prep it, how to buy it, how the Chinese use sesame oil, for example. It's the most overused. Sesame oil and truffle oil are the two most overused oils in the world. You put a teaspoon of sesame oil, that's all you taste for the rest of the meal. Ditto with truffle oil, right? My point is, Kenny's had the opportunity. He goes to the country, learns about Japanese cuisine to basically get your chops to deserve the ability to then serve Japanese cuisine. And he did that with yeah. Spain and he did that with Italy. And I agree with Ken, you don't, if you can't afford to go to Japan, which most can't, then go to, to little Japantown in, in San Francisco or go to a community that you can still learn great Japanese food from a Japanese yeah. chef outside of Tokyo. They don't have to be there. They could be in, in the US. But I still think that these young cooks need to understand these ingredients, how they're used traditionally in those cuisines before you have the honor to start using them in blending. Because if you don't mm. do that first step, you don't really know what you're doing with those ingredients and you end up with confusion cuisine. So true. So you guys have both won James Beard Awards. What's that like? Uh, in your business, what's it like when you're kind of on the precipice of being that great and then it's acknowledged that you are one of the master culinary folks in the world? What is it like to win that award? I mean, it's a huge honor humbling beyond and the reason is it's voted by your peers this is not a popularity contest with food writers and people that are critics this is actually fellow chefs voting for you it's just like the same adage that 
nothing is more fun for us and fellow chefs coming to our restaurant. That's when we want to shine. I can't, when oh. Kenny comes to my restaurant, we just throw it all out, right? As much as we can. We love that. So when these same chefs invoke you that they think you're the best in the you know, Northeast for me and Kenny as well, it's just so humbling. And, you know, we call it the Oscars of the chef world. Does it do what an Oscar does? Probably not. We didn't quite get our million dollar endorsements. But in our industry, it's as valuable. Show us your Emmy, Ming, over there, too. Do you have it behind you? Uh... Oh, that's right. I do. I From do, PBS, okay. right? From his PBS show? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Aw. There we go. Look at that. This, wow. This was, I'm very proud to say, this was Food Network's first Emmy, right? So Emerald started, you know, about oh, a year and a half beautiful. before me. Oh, it's beautiful. It's real gold, too. No, it's not. Um, <laughs> it would have been sold so fast if this was real gold. I would have bought myself a house. Uh, but what was so funny is this East Meets West. My first show I ever taped on East Meets West was at Turkey Shumai with Chipotle, and I did a turkey breast. That was the show they entered for the Emmys. My first show. <laughs> first. <laughs> there's more seasoned shows that I maybe got better at. And they're like, it was the purest show. It was yeah. your first show. It was the first you time you do it. You minds. could see That's all amazing. of that. And, That's cool. And I remember my agent called me and says, hey, congrats, you got nominated for an Emmy. I'm like, what are you talking about? Goes, no, you got nominated. <laughs> I'm like, who else? Martha Stewart, Julia Child, Bob Nye, the science guy, and Bob Vila. I'm like, oh, it's nice to be nominated. But of course I go because you. how do you not go? And somehow, yeah. I think I think they needed the Asian quota filled. So they gave me the oh, Emmy. Oh, come so, on. Which is <laughs> fine. No, that was, that was before then, man. Come on. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, okay. So let's talk a little bit about both of you not only run great restaurants in different parts of the world. You now spend a good amount of time thinking about how to help other people and you help other people. And there's so many different examples of that. They all revolve around how you think about food, maybe food as medicine, maybe food as a way to bring people together. You, you do a lot of work. I know both of you support Jose Andres whenever there's a crisis and you're kind of right next to him helping to serve communities and make sure that they're nourished. Talk to me about how you think about that piece of your lives and what inspires you and, and talk a little bit about the favorite work that you do. Well, as Ming and I have said many times, it's in a chef's DNA to help people. If we're not in it to help people, there's really no reason to be cooking. It motivates every chef to just take care of somebody, to cook for them, to see that look in their face where they're enjoying what you're cooking and you know putting your emotions on a plate. Yeah. And so it's that simple and it's also that simple to to take care of people and those in need and and to really look around at communities and say okay, you know, if there is a crisis, whatever, say it's you know an earthquake or a hurricane or whatever, you know, obviously or the war in the Ukraine, obviously people need to be fed first and foremost to give them the pride Ability, to be able yeah. to uh, to carry on in, in difficult times. Yeah, Ming has done so much. Again, you know, feeding people all over the world, and and also with his charity, you know, taking care of families with kids that have cancer. You know, it's just the first place that people look when they need money is let's hit up restaurant chefs. You know, because they know that the wealthier people are going to go out to eat, and they can afford to spend out the money to do fundraisers, and they also know that. We want to do anything humanly possible to help people. Yeah. Chefs are generally very kind people. 
Generally. Big egos, but very kind. <laughs> we definitely yeah, have egos. A lot of big egos. No, but it, it's, it's yeah, huge egos. It's in our DNA. <laughs> We're hospitality. We're here to yeah. serve. Let's go back. Kenny and I did so much together. For example, Boston Marathon bombing, right? Yeah. What, a, what an invasion on America, right? It was just like, yeah. what? You're bombing the marathon? It's just, right, it's so confusing. Horrible. But that day, Kenny comes to Blue Dragon. And we sit down at the at, at the chef's table, and the question is, what are we going to do? Not, can we do anything? It's like, what are we going to do? And mm -hmm. I remember saying to Kenny point blank, I said, we got to go big or go home. We know the Red Sox, right, the owners and management. Let's do a huge event at, at Fenway. Let's get 100 chefs, and let's raise a million bucks. This is a month out. 31 yeah. days, we got Boston Bites back on the map. And we did have a hundred chefs cooking in all the little kiosks and stalls. Instead of the instead of a hot dog, it was a foie gras dog by by you know the chief, <laughs> one of Kenny's friends. Or and we all cooked our hearts out. And we had the EMT, the police, survivors. Probably the proudest moment, right, Kenny? When we took that picture. Oh yeah. Proudest oh, moment yeah. of our lives. Literally a hundred chefs at Fenway, and not one chef hesitated to come join. Literally an yeah. email. Yes, 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 yes. Not one chef. And that's what chefs mm. do. Because I have an opportunity to use my platform, my cooking, and raise money for these poor people. Absolutely. One of our challenges, honestly, as chefs is we get asked by five different people a week. So back in the day, early in my career, I would do 25 different events. Share our strength, meals on wheel, AIDS, heart disease, diabetes. They're all great causes. Never not a great cause. But honestly, I didn't know how much impact I was having on all those. Because I, I know I had some impact there raised the next amount of money, but I couldn't see it and feel it. So yeah. smartly, I decided for me, I'm going to focus mostly on one charity, which was, became Family Reach. We're the only national charity that financially helps families dealing with cancer. And just to think about this, if your son gets cancer, it's the worst thing possible, and he's two, three, five, six, nine, doesn't matter, someone has to drive the son to, to treatment. Well, that usually yeah. becomes the mom because they're the more nurturing. So now mom's income is zero. So most households are two income. So you went from $200,000 to $100,000. I don't care who you are. No one has cancer insurance. No one has 100,000 cash just in case one of my kids get cancer. So even if you're living out in the burbs and someone gets, you could end up going bankrupt because you have a mortgage and cars and in private school, whatever. And it's the number one cause of personal bankruptcy in this country today is a di cancer diagnosis. And it shouldn't oh, be that, that way. So crazy. And the bottom line is the poorer you are, the less chance you have to survive. Now that's a broken system, right? And we, we're here not trying to change the entire system, but we are trying to make a systemic change. Like the innate financial counselor, they need to know that SNAP is available. They need to know that food pantries. They need to get the resources. Because when you hear cancer diagnosis, is like Charlie Brown. When the doctors are talking to you, wah, 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 wah. You hear totally. nothing. All you know totally. is my son has cancer, right? And you spend yeah. everything. You max your cards out because it's your son's life. You tell the doctor, of course, I can afford it because you don't want to. You're scared that if you say you can't afford it, they're going to get lesser, you know, less good treatment. That just snowballs. And can you imagine being homeless. So the reason I got so involved with Family Reach is I met this wonderful single mom named Raquel. I just saw her again at a ride. And her son, Michaela, was born. Six months had cancer. She was single mom. They got through it. She had enough savings. He's in remission. Cancer comes back a year and a half later. And for a child, cancer is always five times worse when it comes back. So this time, she has no savings. They live two years in a homeless shelter while Michaela's getting chemo yeah. and radiation. Oh. And the kicker 
was the doctor, the oncologist told Raquel that Michaela needed a bone marrow transplant to survive. But unfortunately, because of the sanitary conditions of the homeless shelter, we can't administer because it won't stick. Sorry. You can't tell them I'm sorry when there's a cure for their son. Wow. And uh, sorry. Yeah. No, it's, it's, it's so, it's so. It's very emotional, obviously, right? Well, of oh. course you're going to be emotional. And it's so debilitating. Like the fact that this is not all in Yeah, yeah. And, and let me finish yeah. the story. So then, so then Family Reese says, bullshit. Here's your apartment back for a year. You take care of Michaela. We got your back. And I, and I, I just had a Zoom with him yesterday. This yeah. kid is playing football. He's 15 years old. He is thriving. Oh, wow. And I know oh. I personally helped Michaela. And that, that's amazing. That, that's, that that's threw incredible. a plate of food, right? Yeah. So we did, Kenny's done the event a bunch of times with me called Cooking Live. I created this event at Cooking Live, the best chefs of the region. So we do Boston, New York, Chicago, and around the country. I've done 28 of these. I've raised over $10 million for these guys over the last 11 years. And it's the second it's proudest thing I've done next to my two children. It's, yeah, it's just, it's so it's, it's, it sets me, it sets me who I am. Well, you know, and just to play off of that, I mean, you both have had situations where family members have been suffering, right? Diagnosed by the medical industry and you've figured out the solutions at home. And so it's interesting. It's always interesting to me that the two things are not more integrated that, you know, part of the solution, you just have to kind of go off and figure it out for yourself and thank God that there are organizations like Family Reach. But in both of your cases, you solved the problem in part with food. Yeah. Well, it's so crazy. Uh, I, we talked to our oncologist. So my wife had a diagnosis, crazy diagnosis five years ago. She's 100% healthy now, thank God. And I, we asked the oncologist, what should she eat? And the doctor's like, I don't know. I'm like, right. you're the leading cancer hospital in the world? And you, what? Yeah. I mean, we all know that cancer feeds on sugar. That's just like yeah. common knowledge. So at least say yeah. that, right? Yeah. Maybe stay away from fatty foods. Maybe it's just so, so yeah. obviously, Kenny and I know what we should be eating. So because of her diagnosis, it created Ming's Ming's. Which is what? So Ming's Ming's, so let me tell you the story. So five years ago, my wife had a horrible diagnosis. We did two things. Dana-Farber to get a fantastic oral therapy that wiped her cancer out. She's now cancer-free. So that was step one. Yeah. And step two is we decided she should go vegan. Polly was already a pescatarian, so it wasn't that big of a move. And the reason to go vegan is you need to reduce inflammation. So that's mm -hmm. all protein, that's meat, that's fish, that's chicken, that's, of course, gluten. Inflammation, just cancer can then grow even faster. So by going plant-based, you're going to greatly help your chances. Mm -hmm, so mm -hmm. five years ago, I'm traveling like I normally do. I go to the Whole Foods and Wegmans like, okay, what can my wife eat when I'm not at home to cook for her? Veggie patty section, Prager's, Boca's, Gardein's. They're horrible. They're dried emulsified chickpeas and beans and edamames pureed into a dry hockey puck and eat lettuce and tomato, mayonnaise and a bun to eat. I'm like, okay, I'm going to redefine the veggie patty market. I'm going to Flip the paradigm. I'm going to put the emulsification on the outside. Hence, I developed this brown rice gluten-free wrapper. And then get the best plant-based protein out there. I did a blind taste test before the butcher one. There was beyond. There was impossible. There's, you know, there's a hundred of them now, but it was the best tasting. And then I chefed it, which means grilled onions and, and seasoning and make it just taste good. And that became yeah. the creation of Ming's Bings. And now we have nine different flavors. I'm so proud. Our, our motto is... Eat good, feel good, do good. Eat good because it has to be delicious. I'm an iron chef, right? It has to be delicious. Feel good because plant-based does make you feel better. 
if you read any research, and if you also read any research, you should feel better upstairs because it's better for the planet. Less methane gas, less water, all of that. And then do good because some proceeds of all sale of Ming's Bings benefit both Dana-Farber and Family Reach. So for me, it's a product that most people can stand by. One, because it's delicious. If it's not delicious, start over. And you can get them. You can get them at Wegmans and we're, we're, yeah, we're in four thousand stores across the country now. So Wegmans, Roach Brothers, Days Market, locally, Stop and Shop, and you can go to MingsBings.com. And these are all gluten free, and you you've tried them. Kenny was the first restaurant that served them for me because I was it was Where'd so hard them? during COVID. We were trying to sample right, and during COVID you can't sample. And then Kenny yeah. set up Uni and had all the outdoor seating. And again, being one of my great friends, let me. Let me, as an amusee, everyone got a Ming's Bangs, and I got to go to the table and give them a coupon and stuff. So Kenny was a huge, yeah, so but that's what Uni chefs and do. A, and at Little Donkey. And, and Little Donkey, uh, yeah. You know, so in the back cool. parking lot. Yeah. Yeah, that's, that's right, the back parking friend. lot of Little Donkey. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah that's what, that's yeah. what friends do. You've been on a gluten free journey, though, too, right, Ken? Oh, 100%. Well, Celine was pretty much, and my wife was pretty much gluten-free for a number of years, yeah. just for health reasons. Again, it just made her feel better and meats just didn't go well. Yeah. And then my daughter, as you know the journey, you know, wasn't feeling yeah. well after a while and took forever and forever to diagnose her yeah. with celiac. You know, took a good nine months of every test under the sun. And yeah, it's crazy. Then once she was celiac, being a chef's daughter, someone that traveled a lot, was she was living in Paris for a while just before that, you know, it was really crushed her spirits. She's yeah. like, oh, I'm never going to be able to eat any of my favorite foods again. I'll never be able to travel. I'll never be able to do anything. And what was she? Yeah, she was 11 when she was diagnosed. It was just as the pandemic was starting, I was like, all right, it is my mission now to figure out everything that she loved and be able to create recipes that she won't miss anything. Yeah. And I cooked nonstop for day after day after day for most of the pandemic, you know, for well over a year. I remember, and, I got some samples, it was incredible. <laughs> and I got some of your sourdough too, which was phenomenal. But uh, Thank you. it was an amazing lesson as a chef also, it's almost like, you know, going into meditation because mm -hmm. everything that I ever knew beforehand about cooking was gone. And it was such a humbling experience. As we were talking about chef's egos before, I was like, oh, I can cook anything. Yeah. You know, to cook gluten-free and make something that you won't know the difference between it, like pasta, for instance, you know, the littlest amount, like 20 grams of tapioca starch instead of 20 grams of gluten-free cup for cup can make like all the difference in the world. So it's like such a science experiment. Wait, wait, wait I'm sorry, what's that recipe? Uh, cup, cup, one cup and then a tablespoon, tapioca. I mean, can I just interrupt real quickly? You do yeah. not know the pasta you're eating at Facha Facha is gluten-free. It is you that You have no idea. Good. You have no it idea. And Kenny's so smart. He built, and you've seen his two pasta rooms. He has two identical pasta rooms. One's completely gluten-free and one is not. Yeah. And it's just phenomenal. It's so hard to do what Kenny's done. Uh, he did yeah. do gluten-free dumplings too that are phenomenal. I mean, we would all huh. do everything for our children and he really took that to heart. And he's like, I, I, my, my daughter, she, she needs to be able to eat this. And I, I'm gonna plug it, Kenny, now I want you to talk about it. And Kenny's <laughs> finally written his first cookbook. Right. Finally. I, I mean, he's too. one of the only chefs. I'm like, Kenny, you have more <laughs> recipes than any of us in your head. You can, you could have done a Cleo, a Nooney, a Little Donkey, a Toro, this and that. But again, his priority is his daughter, 
right? It's just, it wants to, who's on the cover? It was, with it was, it's yep. fantastic. I, I, I very proudly got to write a little blurb for the book. I mean, it's a fantastic yeah. cookbook. It doesn't matter if you're gluten-free or not. It's a fantastic cookbook, period. And if you had me gluten-free, it's even better. But all the recipes yeah. are fantastic. Yeah. They, they are. When is they it available, Kenny? Is it out yet? It's not out yet, but it'll be out in January. And it's called Cooking with My Dad the Chef. And Vervan actually wrote the whole cookbook. She loves oh. writing. So she wrote the whole cookbook, and I did the recipes with her. And it's pretty much a story, again, of everything that her and my son have eaten their whole lives and then how we kind of transform them into the gluten-free world. And it's definitely, some people will look at the book and say, well, this is not a kid's cookbook because there's a dish with sea urchin, there's a dish with truffles, there's, you know, but these are dishes that people can eat and they're, you know, maybe once a year. Well, you in know, certain like, parts of the world, it, that is a kid's dish. Yeah. And right? why, you know, why should kids like not be exposed to right everything and that's i never thought my kids would like caviar or sea urchin or truffles when they were younger you yeah. know it's like and it's but, delicious. you know you throw it in front of them you see what happens and if it sticks it sticks and unfortunately you know the expensive ingredients stuck with my kids yeah <laughs> and you know there's not all these fancy recipes in the book either it's a great cooking cookbook and some of the recipes are super easy and kenny brings up a great point oh my god I wish whoever created the kids menu, that person should be taken out. You don't need a kids menu. Feed your kids what you eat. I mean, when I ate, I went to the Chinese restaurants with my parents, and if I didn't like it, I went home hungry. It's right. survival. So you start That's learning right. to eat. And they're like, I hated cilantro. <laughs> There's cilantro on everything, especially in, in you know, Cantonese food. But at a certain point, it's like survival of us. And, and once you start training your palate young, it develops some, I mean, I meet these kids, friends of my kids that like eat chicken fingers and French fries and that's it and grilled cheese. And they're like 19 and 22. <laughs> I'm like, are you kidding me? How, how are you just, all I'm thinking about your first business dinner with the CEO is you're going to be eating chicken fingers? Chicken fingers. I mean, how does that work out, dude? I mean, you gotta, oh I mean, just I for it. business survival, the best way to interview bar none is at a meal. When I have a yeah. meal, a lunch or a dinner, especially dinner, because then you can tell about this, you know, do they have a palate? Do they know wine? Do they know, do they know how to use a knife and fork? I mean, if you're holding your fork, oh, I love food. Well, that's not, <laughs> that's, sorry, that's not going to work. I mean, well, Ming, nowadays, as long as somebody knows how to hold a fork, I'll hire them. I don't care. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's, a different, it's a different time. It's upside down, but that'll still work. <laughs> All, right. All right, guys, I want to just do a lightning round with you guys. So these are quick answers that will entertain us and tell us more. Kenny, you go you. first follow. and I'll follow you. Okay. All right. So what's your favorite weeknight meal? Ming's Bing's. Oh. Beautiful. That's so funny. <laughs> Ming's Bing's. No, 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 no. Uh, <laughs> fried rice. Just okay. any fried rice. Just whatever veg or meat you may have, fried rice. Put it in there. Uh, favorite comfort food? Uh, ramen. Mm. Oh, my God. Same. An instant really? ramen. I have no shame doing instant ramen because Which I take uh, anyone with double packet, meaning oil and seasoning, because oh, I yeah. first start oh, yeah. the oil in a pan and I saute whatever veg I have, and then I make mm -hmm. the ramen normally, and then of course we drop a couple eggs in. Oh, it becomes mala a full meal. Oil. Oh, yes. Man. Amazing. Okay, that's a great tip. What are your favorite ingredients? Favorite ingredients, I would say tamari, garlic. Uh, yeah, tamari and garlic. I'll make pretty much anything and I'll put tamari and garlic in everything. Okay. That's hilarious. 
Espeleta? No. Um, um, ginger. <laughs> ginger for sure, because that's savory. Mm. And then I, I think I'd have to say grape. Not the grape as is. Grape after it's juiced and put into a bottle. Grape. Interesting. <laughs> I see. Oh, Welch's grape juice. Wow. Welch's yeah, are yeah, more... <laughs> with, with more age, with a couple more years. More age. More Aged age. Welch's, yes. Okay. All right. Now, guys, the holidays are coming up. We just talked about that a little bit. So... If you're asked to make a side dish for a holiday dinner, what are you bringing? To me, oysters are a side dish. I mean, mm. for the holidays, you've got to have mm. oysters. So mm. I would definitely do uh, some raw oysters, probably pomegranate mignonette or something along that oh line. Oh, my God. Amazing. Now, that Amazing. sounds that. good. So yeah. if it's yeah. a fancy place, I bring caviar and scallion pancakes. Oh. And you just cook up the scallion pancake, you cut it out, you put a little sour cream caviar, you're done. Mm. If it's not yeah. a fancy... I love pumpkin. It's inexpensive, and you get a big one and a gratin of pumpkin. So instead oh. of potato gratin, mm. or pumpkin gratin, it's a great side dish. But sounds amazing. Prefer the, prefer the caviar. Yeah, seriously. What about dessert? Dessert? I love making fruit tarts. That's another thing that I've really been able to master is to make the gluten-free dough that you would never know the difference in a million years. So probably like tart tatin or something along that line. Okay. Oh. Caramelized apple tart. That's so pretty. God, he's, he's reading my cheat sheet. <laughs> I've, been, I've been on this crustade kit, which is a freeform tart, right? And oh. it's, it's, it's literally flour, ice water, and butter. That's it. There's not even egg. And you just put as much butter as it can possibly hold. And then you just fold, slice whatever fruit of the season. Plums and peaches, mm. apples, and it doesn't matter. A hot Fruit crustade with whipped cream or ice cream, that's, you can't get better. Oh. All right. Now, if there's a group of people who are not great chefs, but very eager, give me a recipe that you would start with that ends up delicious, but it's only like five ingredients, four or five ingredients. Go ahead, man. Easy. Everyone can make fried rice, right? It's so okay. easy. First, you need to cook rice. So I can presume you have a baseline you can cook rice. And by the way, get a rice cooker, right? They're as low as $49 at a Target. They can go up to, you know, $500. But a rice cooker yeah. is your best friend because hot rice is the secret for good fried rice. Believe you me, fried rice is created, of course, they say to use leftover rice. And that is true. But the best fried rice in the world, Kenny's had it at Din Tai Fung, is the lightest oh. ethereal rice. And I saw them through the glass kitchen because they're using hot rice to make it, which requires I less I never oil. use hot rice. Right. No one does. Right. And it's actually one of my most popular TikToks. I have 6 million views on it <laughs> and lots of controversy. They're like, Mr. Roger, Ming Tsai uses fresh rice. What does he know? He doesn't know what he's talking about. It's crazy. <laughs> but but anyone anyway, can so if you have hot rice, all you need is a walker nonstick pan. You cook scrambled eggs first, which everyone can do. And I tend to use yeah. a little bit more oil and then drain them on paper towels because the scrambled eggs get fluffier when there's more oil and nice and hot. They kind of puff mm. up. And mm. then of course garlic ginger scallion. Those are the three most basic ingredients of every Chinese stir fry. Those all minced up. You just add the garlic ginger, onions. You add your hot rice, you add your eggs back, you add a little soy sauce to tomorrow if you want to keep it gluten-free, classic mandarin fried rice. It's so easy. And once oh. you make that, and then you riff off of it. Uh, tomorrow you do it with ground pork, or you do it with a plant substitute, or you do it with shiitake, you do it with veg. It's a baseline to make thousands of rice dishes. Um, amazing. What about you? All right. Speaking of rice, I mean, for me, I think Paella is very intimidating for a lot of people, but mm. it is so easy. You know, like like fried rice, it's a one-pot meal, which yeah. to me it, and my wife, because she always complains about the mess I make in the kitchen. But, mm. uh, wow. you know, to cook something Wait, in one pot. Wait, we married to the same person? 
<laughs> to cook something in one pot is always a, a victory. And you can make simple paellas. I mean, a lot of people are like, oh, you know, I don't know when to put this in or put that in. But if you were to just make whatever, say chicken and vegetable paella, for yeah. instance, it's so easy. You can use white meat chicken, dark meat chicken, boneless chicken, bone on chicken, chicken wings, anything that you have. But it's basically sauteing some onions and garlic and red bell pepper, yeah. and just having the right rice, which you have to have the calaspara or bomba rice from Spain, mm -hmm. and just sauteing the rice, coating it with some of the oil, and then just adding some other vegetables, if you like, spinach, kale, whatever you have, yeah, and just throw in some broth. It could be chicken broth, it could be lobster broth, it could be vegetable broth, and as long as you have the right ratios, then you just basically... Cook that on medium heat for about 15, 20 minutes. You don't even have to stir it. You don't have to do anything. Really? Nope. Yeah. Then once the rice gets a little crispy on the bottom, the yeah. sokara, which I know in Chinese culture and a lot of cultures, people love that Guava. crispy rice on yeah. the bottom of the rice pan. Yeah. You just kind of, once it starts, poke a little spoon in there and you feel it starting to form, then you turn it off. Yeah. Let it absorb the liquid and it's done. And you could feed, you know, four to six people easily. And then if you have a big paella pan, you could feed, you know, twenty people from one pan without even oh worrying about and it. And you don't you don't even cover the pan, right, Kenny? It's amazing. No. You just turn it nope. off and let it sit. All right, last question. Aside from me, who would be your perfect dinner guest? <laughs> <laughs> There's no, there's no comparison, Joe. It's know, it's, it's it's Jill and Emmy. That's it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> perfect dinner guest. Wow. Either James Beard, who I never got to meet in person. It would be ah. fascinating to have a meal with him because he literally helped popularize food in America, right? Yeah. Going back to Escoffier, I would love to see the creation. How did you come up with your mother's sauces? And, you know, that that's yeah. a question. I mean, that's yeah. a, he's, he really defined Western cuisine, 100%. Interesting. How about you, Kenny? Uh, for me, I mean, I would... I have to say, I mean, I've been lucky enough, as you have, Ming, to share, you know, many a meal with Jose. I mean, there is nobody more entertaining to sit at a table with. Yeah. Oh, really? Nobody that loves food or has enthusiasm as Jose. And there's no human being that's more interesting. Is that right? Yeah. Everybody needs to sit at a table with Jose and have a meal because it's, it's unlike anything else. There's not a more animated, interesting human being than Jose Andres, who has put his heart in front of everything else. It's unbelievable. Yeah. Oh yeah. Well, it's something that you guys do too. And I have to say, I'm very grateful for you taking the time to do this today. It was incredibly entertaining, but also just wonderful and inspirational. You both have led such incredible lives and there's still so much to do, I'm sure. Oh, and yeah. so many more things to explore, but thank you very much for your time today. We really appreciate it. Thank you, Jill. So much fun. Thanks, Jill. Kenny, I'll see you in a bit. Thank you for listening to my conversation with Ken Oranger and Ming Tsai. Seriously, that was so much fun, so inspiring, so creative. I had a great time talking with them and hearing about their food journeys. I hope that you did too. We hope that you enjoyed the Ingredients for Success series. And if you did, please rate, review, like, and share it with your friends. Have a great day and a happy new year.